With us this Sunday morning is Dr. Sky, otherwise known as Steve Cates, a good friend. And uh, he makes us wonder what the heck is going on up there. And uh, Steve Cates, uh, good morning this Sunday morning. Uh, what's new this week? Well, good morning, John. Good to be back on the Cats Roundtable every week here. Let's journey way out into the cosmos where we talk about things called black holes. Hard enough to understand. And in the simplest way we can describe it this morning as people wake up and listen, these areas in space that have great gravity pressure, let's say, they pull in light, heat, and everything. But astronomers are now saying that there may be these tiny, primordial black holes, maybe even small as the size of an asteroid, that permeate the universe. And the interesting thing about this, John, is that if these little tiny black holes were even to get close to the Earth, nothing that we can prove, they obviously send out these things called gravitational waves. And what's that? The gravitational wave, you wouldn't want to run into it. It's a ripple in space-time, which means that it actually changes the bending of time and space. Totally amazing stuff. And just to let everybody know on the theoretical side, if one the size of an asteroid got within, let's say, 200 million miles of the Earth, it would definitely warp the Earth's orbit and many of the other planets. Isn't that a fascinating way to begin Sunday to open up? Well, well, I hope it doesn't happen for a few thousand years. <laughs> right, absolutely. Amazing stuff from the world of science. But, John, if we go closer in toward the planets, like the planet Mars, we know that the Perseverance rover is doing a great job on the surface. It's actually doing something that many people may not realize because Ingenuity, the helicopter, has really taken over first prize. Perseverance is actually doing something interesting. It's catch, capturing, that is, samples of the Martian surface, the geologic material rocks, and putting them in little test tubes. And it's dropping them on the surface of Mars and also storing them on board. Why? Because eventually NASA wants to do something called Mars Sample Return Mission. And what's that in a nutshell? It's a mission that would send an orbiter to Mars, a lander. It would scoop up the little vials of material and send it back to the Earth. But let's hold the phone, because now it's an over-budget project. It would be over $8 billion to do this particular sample return mission. So it'll probably happen. But as many things we're hearing, like the NASA moon mission and also this Mars sample return mission, it's probably going to have to be a lot later in time as they can focus on the budget. Interesting, though, nonetheless. Uh, understood. And the, 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 the moon mission, the Mars mission, uh, there's delays going on in NASA. What, what do you hear? On yes. That? We do. We're hearing that Artemis II, which was originally scheduled to launch in October of this year, obviously looks like it's will be pushed back, who knows, maybe into 2025. And then the big creme de la creme, as they say, the Artemis III, that's the landing on the surface of the moon, that might have been predicted to happen as early as 2026, is probably going to have to be pushed back a number of years. Now, I say this. This is just my opinion, open to everybody's opinion, too. Why the rush? I mean, we've done this before. Obviously, with budget overruns, we look at the privatized part of the world, you know, with the Elon Musk story and SpaceX. And we have to remember that Elon is going to develop the lunar lander that's now in his testing for his giant rocket, the big starship. So I simply say this. Let's do it right. Let's do it safely. And they're also looking to build a lunar space station, which is very important, called Gateway. So there's your summary on that, John. It's uh you know, maybe troubled times. Remember, NASA's budget is very small in comparison to many of the other federal agencies. And I do think they do a lot 
with a little. But what say you on that? Well, you know, my mind wanders all the time, and especially with the Mars rovers, uh, if, if they're looking for something or if they're finding something, uh, that, 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 that really uh, uh, gets to me. And, and uh, with learning more about the planets, uh, Jupiter, and, and I know this is just the beginning, but uh, at my age, I'd like to find out sooner than later. What say you? I agree, John. But again, let's do it safe and let's do it the right way. And I think those rewards will come. But, John, one more thing I wanted to mention today. This is quite interesting because this affects people, not in an alarmist way, closer to home with earthquakes. The U.S. Geological Survey has put out a brand new map. And the map doesn't say much, but the words behind it say that nearly 75% of the U.S. could be under earthquake watch and alerts. Well, we've known this for a long time. The new map indicates areas that are hotspots. We know that, Alaska, areas of California, the Yellowstone region, of course, in the far top of, of Wyoming. And if that ever blew with a giant caldera volcano, that would be very devastating. But how about some trivia going back to earthquakes in America? Many people may not realize, back in Missouri, the new Madrid earthquake that occurred back in December of 1811 was an 8.2 and even today, the city of Memphis, Tennessee, and other cities along the New Madrid Fault could be under an alert that, of course, we need to be watchful for. Not much we can do about it. The largest earthquake that we ever recorded in the world, at least that's what we know in modern times, that occurred back in May of 1960 when a 9.5 earthquake, John, occurred in Chile. And as we talk about this, California's largest earthquake was back in 1857, a 7.9 on the Richter scale. So hopefully they're getting more focus on where these regions of activity could be and maybe give us some sort of an early prediction. But as you know, earthquakes do exactly what they want. And yes, we there, there, there is no way to control those earthquakes that we know about. Uh, let me ask yes. a question. Uh, sure. The weather. Yes. Are we working on being able to control the weather Better, maybe, John, you know, the weather yes. controls the earth and the temperatures, but are we able mm -hmm. to control where the weather hits, whether it hits in a, a major city or hits in the middle of the ocean? Not at this point, John, but then I don't want to sound conspiracy, but here we go. There's been stories about this for a long time that geoengineering has been in full force. And there were a lot of experiments done in Alaska in which they were sending out these ripples and waves into the upper atmosphere. But I think that's something that we'll both do some exploration on, because if I go further on this, I might sound totally conspiratorial. But there are many people out there that seriously believe from the concept of chemtrails to other vibrations in the earth, inducing these low frequency you know, radio waves. That, that could be part and parcel. But I stop and give you science. And I say that again, and we say it proudly and confidently, all weather comes from the sun. And that's something we need to study in much greater details. Why, John? Because we're in the throes of the solar cycle 25, and those powerful CMEs and solar flares really have a devastating effect on the Earth, as it's had many times in the past. But, you know, that's a good subject. I'd like to explore that more about what weather-inducing uh, experiments have been done let's, let's and do that. what may let's be fact that. from fiction. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, and we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. And if there's anything urgent, let me know during the week, and we'll put you right on. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Have a good morning. Appreciate it.